Good to see you all this morning, and uh, great to be able to uh, join with uh, Chris and Karen and the family and friends today in the uh, dedication of Ben. It's always wonderful to, uh, you know, to be able to celebrate the things that God has blessed us with, hey? Yes? That's, that's it. Let's pray and uh, let's look at this passage together this morning. Father, we uh, want to rejoice, first of all, for the gift of uh, our salvation, which you have secured for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us, revealing to us your great love and mercy and grace. Father, this morning we are just so glad to be recipients of that grace. And we pray, Lord, that uh, this morning as we open up your word together, we would uh, continue to, uh, to abide in you and in that wonderful new life that is ours in Christ. And Lord, would, uh, the word that you implant upon our hearts today, Lord, that you would just use that to uh, continue that work of making us more into the image of Jesus Christ to help us to be your witnesses uh, to our uh, um, surrounding uh, community and world. And Lord, most of all, that we would be a joy to you. So we just ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was thinking about uh, the, the message this morning. I thought that an apt title for today's sermon would be Pride and Prejudice. Now, I know that some of the ladies' ears are all sort of starting to prick up and they're hoping for, uh, you know, um, perhaps uh, allusions to uh, Jane or Elizabeth or Mr. Darcy. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to disappoint you this morning because that's the only message, uh, the only uh, sort of mention we're going to make of those names today. The reason I say pride and prejudice is because, in essence, these verses that we're looking at this morning really uh, have to do with passing judgment on others. But not just on others, but also passing judgment on God and God's word. I don't know if you picked it up, but as we read through those couple of verses this morning, you might see that the word judge actually comes up quite often, in fact, six times in two verses. So that to me says that James has got a, you know, that's, that's very, very crucial to the point that James is trying to get across to us this morning. Five times he uses the term judge to speak of people and once relating to, uh, to God. Now it begins in this passage this morning. If you've got your Bibles there, you might like to open them to James chapter 4 if you've, if you've closed them after the reading. James begins in verse 11 with this command and he says, Do not, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now, this kind of language that James is referring to here is kind of like a, uh, a defamatory or a slanderous kind of speech. It's literally talking, making, uh, talking down, making a person, you know, sort of low in their, uh, in their, um, um, the way people sort of see them and, uh, and respond to them. Uh, James is basically saying that to slander another person is, is really, uh, sorry, the dictionary says to slander another person is to give a false report about another person. Uh, with, with not just, uh, just to give us false report, but with malicious intent. In other words, we're seeking to do them harm, to, to bring them down in the eyes of, uh, of, of the, uh, the people around about them, to disgrace them or discredit them, if you like. Now, the Bible has got a lot to say about slander. I don't know if you realise this, but, but in fact, it, the Bible actually denounces slander more than any other sin. Did you know that? That's a pretty amazing little factor for the, this morning, isn't it? The Bible denounces slander more than any other sin. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 16 says this, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbour, for I am the Lord. So God says, do not go around as a slanderer among your people, you know, um, paying out and, and, and speaking ill and, and, uh, and trying to discredit those people around about you. 
Psalm 140 verse 11 points to slander as being a form of violence. And this is why God you know, commands us not to do this. Psalm 140 verse 11 says, Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man's speed. You know, the violent man is, is this slanderer person that, uh, that is being mentioned here. In Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, it makes clear that slander spreads strife and, it, uh, and is despised by God. There are six things that the Lord hates, it says, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, in other words, a slanderer, and one who sows discord among brothers. So we see that God sees these things as being incredibly evil. And he looks down on them as he does on all sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 11, Paul writes these words where he says, I wrote to you in my letter, he's speaking to the church in Corinth, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or the idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. So he says, you know, not talking about the people in the world, I'm talking about people in the church. And he goes on to say, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or who is an idolater, a reviler or slanderer, that word is, a drunkard or a swindler. Not even should you eat with such a person. They're pretty harsh words, aren't they? Notice that Paul mentions slanderer that right there in the middle of that, uh, those, the, that list of characteristics. See, God sees slander as being a very, very serious sin. A very serious sin. Unfortunately, for, for us humans, we probably don't see it that way. In fact, if I dare to say, if you know that, that slander probably wouldn't mention or wouldn't rate much of a mention in our, uh, you know, when we sort of come to think about sins in our lives. Jerry Bridges wrote a, a book a little while ago called Respectable Sins. Those sins that we kind of do, which we sort of don't really look down on too much. You know, but, uh, and he spoke about you know, the damage that these sort of sins cause. And I think that we kind of put it in that kind of basket. They're the, the kind of sins which you know, we kind of do without sort of really paying too much attention to. But our society puts a great deal of emphasis on, on slander and, and the seriousness of it. I mean, we've got laws which, are, which you know, if, if people actually are slandered by another person, they can take them to court and sue them. Uh, just in, uh, back, back in 2012, I was reading about a, a particular man who sued uh, Google over a particular image. Google had, uh, in their search engine, had, um, you know, when it came to searching underworld figures in Australia, this man's picture appeared with some of these underworld characters in, uh, in, in the, um, the criminal history of Australia. And uh, don't ask me how his photo got there, but he actually sued successfully against Google because he, uh, his character was being defamed by this particular image. I think he won around about $225,000 in damages or something like that. When we look, think about the destruction that, uh, that slander can cause, there's a, there's a couple of uh, passages in Scripture which, which really illustrate the damage. And the first is found in Second Samuel chapter 10 through to chapter 12. 
And what we find is in these particular chapters, um, we're sort of reading the account of a group of people called the Ammonites. And they lived in the same kind of region as, as the Israelites there in, in, in Israel or Canaan. And the Ammonite king had died and his son Hanan had come to the throne. And, and David, who had had a, a pretty good relationship with Hanan's father, had sort of sent some of his servants to, uh, to Hanan to, to offer his condolences, as you do in those kind of situations, you know, to sort of you know, express his, his sadness for them. And uh, it turns out that some of the princes of the Ammonites, who were also Hanan's sort of counsellors, you know, his close associates, kind of said to Hanan, you know what, the reason David's sending these servants to you is because, you know, he wants to come and spy out the land in order to, uh, to conquer us and, you know, to do us harm. And they convince Hanan that this, is, that this is David's motives behind sending these servants. And so when David's servants arrive, the uh, Hanan, you know, treats them incredibly badly and really humiliates them and shames them. He shaves off half their beard and he cuts their clothes off, basically, of their chest. In other words, sort of leaving them half naked. And he sends them out, you know, sends them on their way. And David's just completely, uh, you know, shocked by this. And, uh, and so what happens is that uh, the Ammonites think that David's going to, uh, you know, come, come and, uh, and really take revenge on them. So they hire this group of mercenaries to bolster up their army. And then there's this great battle and 40,000 people die. 40,000 people die. And not only that, David then sets about conquering and enslaving all of the Ammonite cities and people. All because some people slandered David and his servants before, the, before this man and he, and he took their counsel instead of finding out the truth. That's the kind of damage it causes. Another passage that you might be aware of is found in 1 Kings chapter 21. You might recall that uh, in that particular day there was a king in Israel called Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And, uh, and Ahab had his eye on a plot of land next to the palace and it was, it belonged to a man called Naboth. It was a vineyard and it was a quite a, a nice bit of land and, and, and Ahab wanted it for a vegetable garden. And so he says to Naboth, look, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you for your vegetable garden. I'll give you a nice new vineyard somewhere else, which is better than this one, or I'll even pay you for it in money. And Naboth says, no, this is, this is the land of my ancestors and this has been granted to me by God and I don't want to move. And so Ahab goes off to his bedroom and he has a great big sulk. And Jezebel comes in and says, oh, what's wrong? And he says, well, Naboth won't give me his vineyard. This is a king, by the way. And Jezebel says, don't worry, I'll fix it. And so she sends word to, uh, to some elders of the village and she says, look, let's have a feast, put Naboth at the head of the table, invite a couple of people to come in and, and get them to say really bad things about, uh, about Naboth, that he, that he curses both God and the king. And so these people are paid off and they come in, they have this feast and they, and you know, in the middle of the feast they say that, uh, that Naboth actually curses God and the king and so they take him out and they stone him. And Jezebel then goes back to Ahab and says, you know what, you know that vineyard you were wanting? Well, it's all sorted, here it is, it's all yours, Naboth's dead. Slander. It's so destructive. No wonder God has got so much to say about this because he knows the destruction it can cause in the, in the community of his people and in the life of, 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 of individuals. Now, James goes on to give several reasons you know, why we shouldn't speak evil of others. But before we do that, I just want to, uh, just to, to highlight a few reasons why we slander other people, why we might consider you know, speaking ill of those around about us. I think one of the first reasons is because of jealousy. We do it out of jealousy. 
You know, we might be jealous of, of what, what other people have that we would prefer, particularly not, maybe not just material things, but very much in terms of reputation or the, or the, the kind of um, you know, admiration that they might have in the eyes of people around them. And we would, we'd long for that kind of admiration and that kind of importance and, and self, you know, that self-worth in, in people's eyes. And so what we do is, in order to sort of puff ourselves up and make ourselves feel a bit better, we put these other people down. And we're guilty of doing it all the time, aren't we? In different ways. Guilty of, of putting others down in order to build ourselves up and puff ourselves up and make ourselves look more important and, and better in other people's eyes and, and particularly better in our own lives. Because if we can think, if, if we can think, you know, sort of see around us and think, well, that person's a lot worse than, than I am. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a better person than them. It does make us feel good about ourselves. So jealousy is a key way of doing, of, of, of bringing about slander in our lives. Another reason we do it is because of um, perhaps a person that causes us hurt or not just us, but perhaps people we love or, or we care about. That, you know, a person might, uh, might have, uh, you know, caused us some kind of hurt or pain or, or, uh, or hardship. And so in order to get back at them, we slander them. We, we want to bring them down in other people's eyes so that we look good and we can get more people on our side, not on, their, not on that person's side. Jesus commands his readers through James not to do this. Not be tempted to do this. Now, it's obviously something, the reason James is speaking about it in this passage here is because it's something that he is witnessing in the life of the church in his day. And it is something which continues in the life of Christ's church you know, in our day today. James knows the destruction it will result in if people continue with this kind of behaviour. And so he gives several reasons as to why we must not do this. And the first is, is in our passage, he refers to, to these people as brothers or neighbours. The term brother is a favourite one for James. He uses it 17 times in his, in his letter. And it's a reminder to us, first and foremost... That as believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus Christ, that we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. That we are family. And that we, Jesus has, has given his life in order to, to, to bring us into his family and unite us together. To bring about this new, these new bonds of, of unity and fellowship. Bonds which are, which are, which have been secured through the blood, the, the body and blood of Jesus, and which now are being built up and, and, uh, and, and, and fostered through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Now, the fact that Jesus chose to die for us, the fact that Jesus chose to give his life in order to bring about this new community shows us that every individual within that community has significance and value in his sight, don't you think? Now, can I say that none of us deserve this kind of mercy that God showed us? None of us deserved it. But yet God chose to reach out to us in our sinful states in order to redeem us, in order to set us in this new relationship with himself. And if God has chosen to do that for us, then really shouldn't we be as God's chosen people, as people who are meant to, to, to show God to the world, shouldn't we be the same kind? Shouldn't we respond to people and act towards people in the same kinds of ways that God has acted towards us in grace? Verse 
Not only does James call, uh, call, refer to, the, uh, to them as brothers, but he also speaks about you know, the, 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 uh, the, that we're neighbours in that last verse there, at the end of verse 12. And the fact that he brings, you know, he mentions that word neighbour is immediately meant to, to, to take us back, to take us back to chapter 2 of the letter where James has already spoken about this whole aspect of what it means to love our neighbour and he refers to it as the royal law. That we're not only we to love God with our heart, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we are to love our neighbours as ourselves. In order, in other words, we're meant to treat them well, to show care and concern for them, to be merciful and gracious towards them. Now, that's what James is saying here. Is, is he refers to that? That he uses that word neighbour. He wants his readers to to cast their minds back and recognise that you know. We've woven through all this sort of section is this aspect of us caring for our neighbour as ourselves. So the first reason that we are not to slander other others, in, particularly in the family of God, is because they are brothers and neighbours. James goes on to say then that the, the another reason why we're not to do it is because when we speak evil against others, we're also speaking evil against God's law. He says the one, going on in verse 11, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now, if God's law demands that we are to love our neighbours, but instead we seek to do them harm through slandering them and, and, and denigrating their character and deriding their character in the, you know, within the community of God and within the world, then then surely we're also saying that, you know what, if God's law says we should do this but we do that, we're actually sort of making a judgment about God's law. By default, we've made a judgment against the authority and the validity of the law of God. We're implying, through speaking evil of others, that God's word is in fact wrong. That the law is mistaken in commanding us to love our neighbour as ourselves. And what James goes on to say is when we do this, we are no longer doers of the law, but instead we put ourselves in a position of being judges over the law. We make ourselves the authority. And that kind of leads James into his next point, where he says to speak evil against others is to then, you know, undermine or usurp God's authority and his position. He says, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. See, by setting ourselves up as judges, by setting ourselves up in this position of authority over the law, determining what we believe is right, rather than what God has already set up, we automatically set ourselves up as not only judges over the law of God, but over God himself. See, the law is meant to be an expression of God an expression of his character. It's meant to point us to who God is and what he is like. That is what the law is designed to do, to to express the character and the nature of God and how we are to respond to him and how we are to live in light of who he is. And when we sort of make these judgments against the law of God and we say that the law of God is in fact wrong in our estimation, in our eyes, 
and deny the validity of God's law, what we're also doing is we are actually denying the goodness of God and the truth about God. Do you see how it follows along? We place ourselves in a position of authority above God. Now let me, let me ask you this this morning. How audacious is that? That we in our, in our humanity would seek to put ourselves in a position of authority above the sovereign and glorious creator God. That's why James goes on to say at the end of verse 12, who are you to judge your neighbour then? Who are you? What right do you have? Who do you think you are that you think that you can stand in authority over the God of the universe? And yet we do. And folks, here is the, the, the fundamental um, um, essence of sin in our lives, the fact that we would continue to put ourselves over and above the authority of God in our lives and in our worlds today. That we would think that we have a better wisdom, a better understanding and a better right to make judgments apart from the judgment of God. And what James is saying in these verses here, these two short verses, he's saying, you know, when it comes to us speaking evil of another person, of slandering another person, of bringing them down, you know, in, uh, in, in character and, and damaging their reputation, we are doing exactly this. We are putting ourselves in a higher position and authority than God. James is wanting us to, uh, to remember that you know, through this passage, he's been speaking about humility. He began back in, 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 in chapter 4, he, um, in verse 6, where, it says that God, where he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This whole section is tied together by this, this fundamental underlying um, aspect of humility, of what it means for us to be humble. James is wanting us to remember who God is. And that's why he says that, that, uh, that God is the only lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. Let's have our perspectives put back in, in, in right focus again here, folks. Let's remember who, who God is and who we are in, in, in relation to him and in respect to him. He is the only lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. Now, I take this to refer to the fact that it's talking about God's, both God's power, that is his ability to save and to destroy, but also his authority, his right to save and destroy. See, God is perfect in his justice and in his righteousness. Only God is able to search the hearts of people. Only God is able to make a true and proper and correct judgment about each and every one of us and about the conditions of our hearts. 
No one else can do that. You can't do that. I can't do that. We saw that in the in the uh, in in the uh, illustration I gave earlier from Second Samuel, you know, chapter ten to twelve, and, and Hanan and the fact that you know his his counselors said to him, you know, here's what David's really about. This is his motivations. They had no idea. Only God can search the hearts of men and therefore make a correct and right and proper judgment about us. And if that is the case, then it surely is that God should be the only one to make judgments about people, not ourselves. Now, the question then sort of hangs in the air. Well, then, does that mean that we shouldn't make judgments about others at all? Should we just leave it to God? I mean, after all, isn't there that verse in, you know, somewhere in, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, I think it is, where it says, you know, Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. I mean, that's the, that's the verse that uh, opponents of Christianity throw in our faces all the time, isn't it? When we speak out against the sin and the corruption and the, and the evil in our world today. How dare you make judgments? And we need to be careful that we do not build a theological framework on one verse in the Bible. And that's to take it out of context. Because we need to consider what the whole Bible says. And so when it comes to looking at the whole Bible, we recognise that there are some things that we do need to make judgments about, that we do need to be discerning about in our lives. Matthew 7, which I just referred to at the beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not lest you be judged. A few verses down in that passage, he then says, Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. In other words, Jesus is saying, You need to make a distinction here. You need to make a judgment. You need to work out in your own mind and heart whether this person is a dog or a pig. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which we read a bit earlier, Paul necessarily requires a person to make a judgment regarding another person's character. If they are, if their character is habitually like this, then you need to be, watch yourself. You need to be careful that you don't, you know, fall in with them because you could be taken down that same path with them as well. So you need to be discerning and, and, and judging in, in, in your character, in, in people's characters. But what the Bible also teaches is that in our discerning, in our making of judgments, we have to remember a few things. And firstly, one, the first one is this, that again, in referring to that passage in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that, you know, if you're going to make a judgment about someone, first examine your own heart. He says, make sure that you remove the plank from your own eye before you try to remove the speck of dust out of the other person's eye. It says, examine your own hearts, realising that we too are sinners in need of a saviour, in need of the grace of God in our lives. Also, we need to make sure that if we're going to, uh, you know, we're concerned about a particular behaviour, we're going to make a judgement call on it, then we should actually go and and talk to that person privately. Matthew 18 says that we have an issue with with a brother or sister in the Lord, that we are to go to them first and we are to raise it with them in a private manner. 
Don't just go trumpeting about, you know, all over church or all over the community about a person's character, slandering them and bringing them down without first of all going and speaking to the person. But don't do it at all, even if you have spoken to the person. There's a right way of going about it. Matthew 18 sets it out in, in very good detail there. The third point is, is that we need to also recognise the ultimate purpose, the ultimate motive in our hearts as to why we would be making a judgement about that person, why we might consider actually slandering them or saying something evil about them. The Bible makes it clear, and James makes it clear in, in, in this letter, and we'll look at it in chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, where he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. In other words, the ultimate um, motivation in our heart should be restoration of a sinner, restoration of a person not continuing to to drag their names through the mud and continue to push them down, but in order to see them restored. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So we need to question our hearts in this, question our own motives. We need to ask ourselves a question You know, why are we judging this person? What is our motivation in this? Is it because we want to make ourselves look better? Is it because we want to bring this person down in order to puff ourselves up? Is it in order to bring this person down in order to to get back at them in revenge and some kind of retaliation? Or is it because we truly love them with the love of Christ and we want to see them restored into a right fellowship with him and a right fellowship with the body of Christ? Keep a close watch on our tongues, James says. Folks, slander is wrong. Being judgmental of others because they don't adhere to our way of seeing things or doing things, they don't agree with our set of personal values, judging them is wrong. That was the problem of the Pharisees in Mark 7. Peter preached on this last Sunday night. You know, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Amma, tisk, tisk, tisk. See, as far as they were concerned, Jesus' disciples weren't measuring up to their personal standards, their set of traditions. It had nothing to do with what the Bible taught. It was just the way that they thought things should happen. And sometimes we can be guilty of the same. We put on other people demands and, and, and that sort of thing, which, which the Bible speaks nothing about yet we, because it's, they're, they're things which are close to our hearts. We, we seek to judge people for them. Folks, we need to stand firm on the word of God. But we need to be careful that, that in fact, the word of God actually prohibits what we're judging. And only ever have as your motivation in making judgments the restoration of a fellow believer or the loving protection of others. That's a really, really important thing, particularly in our current climate today, 
where we have these big debates that are going on in society, particularly the debates with regards to same-sex marriage and abortion and those kind of really kind of hot issues right now, those really kind of emotive issues. We need to remember that when it comes to making judgments and that sort of thing, that first and foremost, in our hearts, it shouldn't be about make, you know, helping us feel good about ourselves because we're in the right and they're in the wrong but about love, showing love and grace in order to bring a person to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, or sadly, for the church today, we've fallen into this trap of, about, of, of trying to alienate people around us by judging and saying, you know what, you're so wrong and you're such a sinner. Well, guess what, folks, so are we. In the sight of God, so are we. Last week, we read James's command to humble ourselves before God in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. Folks, this is the right path for believers today. This is the proper path that we need to be on. Not to try and raise the level of our own importance, to raise the level of our own significance and self-worth, especially at the expense of others. But instead to make sure that we we are people who first and foremost recognise our own sin and our own need of grace and mercy in our lives, to recognise ultimately that it is God's right to judge, and he will, by the way, and he will. But what we also need to recognise is the incredible grace and mercy that God has shown us and to seek to show that to others. Because at the end of the day, this is the only path that leads to a righteous exaltation by God. An exaltation that when it really comes down to it, is, is, is truly worth it. Is truly of any importance and any significance, both for now and in eternity. So, the question James leaves us with is this. Who are you? to judge your neighbour. Who are you? Let's pray, shall we? Father God, this morning we uh, have been challenged by the fact that, Lord, we do, um, we do so regularly in our minds and in our hearts first and foremost, but sometimes with our mouths we think and speak evil of others and particularly brothers and sisters in the Lord. And what we've been taught today is the fact that, Lord, we know that this only leads to disunity, disharmony, destruction of relationships, a breaking down of the unity of the body of Christ. Not only that, Lord, it also puts us in positions where we seek to, uh, to undermine your authority and the authority of your word, to, to put ourselves in a position over you. Lord, help us if we've been guilty of these kind of sins in our lives to, to come before you this morning and, and to truly humble ourselves before you, to recognise that first and foremost we ourselves are sinners, sinners saved by the grace and mercy of God. Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you that in your time and in your way you might lift us up.
Help us to be comfortable and assured in the knowledge that because we are believers in Jesus Christ, that is where our, that is where our, our, our self-worth and value truly comes from, that we are children of the living God, of the King of kings and of the Lord of lords. Lord, today, help us to go out from this place with a renewed uh, desire in our hearts to, to, to try to, uh, to, to turn away from this kind of behaviour of, of, of thinking bad about others and of slandering others and instead to be people who go out and live by the grace and the mercy of God and to show that to others around about us. Yes, Lord, to be discerning, to recognise that there are, we need to make judgement calls but not to do it in a way which you know, seeks to just tear others down. Lord, we need to speak up for what's right. We know that Paul did that. We know that, uh, that, uh, that there are others in the scriptures who did that, who singled people out. But yet, Lord, we are to do it only because our motivation is for restoration or because we're looking to protect those around about us out of love. Lord, help us today to, to give thanks to you for the, your grace towards us a grace that we have so abundantly received in Jesus, a grace that is able to bring us great hope and joy in our lives, a grace that is indeed greater than than any of our sins, that, that overcomes any of our sins. And if we come humbly before you, you will indeed forgive us and set us on a new path, a new path of righteousness, a new path of, of joy, a new path, Lord, of obedience and humility in Christ. Thank you for that in his name. Amen. Well, folks, our last song speaks exactly of that this morning, this wonderful grace.